Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, it's just me. Um, I don't know where Valentino is, and Dave's got sick kids, so um, I, I did the sick kid thing yesterday and the day before. Anyway, uh, I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. I'm launching a new service called Ruby Geniuses. I'll talk to that about the picks. Uh, we have a special guest this week, and that is Jorge Manubria. Manubia. Manubia. That's good. Sorry, I, I speak Italian, not Spanish, but anyway. Uh, you want to introduce yourself real quick and uh, let people know who you are? And Sure. So, uh, well, I'm Jorge, um, a Spanish programmer who lives in Valencia, Spain. Uh-huh. I work at 37 Signal, a lead programmer. I'm the the main author behind Active Record Encryption, um, which is uh, was introduced in Redis 7. And uh, I'm also like to uh, write about, uh, all sorts of topics, uh, Rails included. So I'm writing a series of blog posts called uh, Code I Like, the 37 Signal's blog site. Uh, Anyone can check if you're interested. And uh, recently, I've been involved in uh, creating a, a new feature for that we have uh, released in Turbo in the upcoming Turbo 8 version, which is page uh, refreshes, uh, which I think I'm going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about Turbo for sure. I think you gave a talk on this at Rails World, if I remember right. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We presented uh, this like there. This idea there. Yeah. 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 And I think it was also one of the things or some part of it, maybe it was just Turbo Frames, I want to say, that DHH talked about in his keynote. But, um, well, no. Well, Turbo Frames were already there. So, okay. uh, yeah, Turbo Frames and Turbo Stream Actions were like introduced, uh, when, when Hotwire was released in, uh, uh-huh. 2021. Uh, okay. I think it was uh, around that time or 2020. Um, uh, so Hotwire uh, got a new ma- major revision of Turbo and they introduced Turbo Frames and, and Turbo Stream Actions there. And now uh, in this uh, new version we are shipping, it has some other major features, uh, including this uh, this concept that we presented there in Rails World, which is which is the the page refreshes with with morphing thing. Oh, okay. That, Sounds good. David, yeah. what, what David presented in in his keynote, he showed like many things, and one of the new things was this was page refreshes okay. with morphing. Yeah. Right, and that was where essentially he had like a Kanban board or something, and when you added a new yeah. column, it didn't jitter up to the top. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Hi. looks like we've got Valentino here, so he can say smart things about Turbo. So yeah, I I have to admit I haven't used Turbo a whole bunch. We can hear Valentino moving everything around on his desk. Yeah. <laughs> hey, all right, <laughs> all right now. That uh, <laughs> so so yeah, so uh, can you kind of give us the ten thousand foot view of what Turbo is and how it works, and then we'll dive into some of this stuff? Sure. So Turbo, um, Turbo is a um, front-end library. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a library that you can use to 
build the, the user interface of your application. Um, and for and Turbo, without, uh, you know, without getting into the specifics, it has a philosophy of um, progressive enhancement on mm -hmm. how the web works. So the idea of Turbo is respecting how the web works and send the uh, HTTP protocol to interchange HTML documents with a, with a server. Like that's the, the basic uh, proposal of the web. So it enhances that um, by, uh, on, the, on the one hand, offering that programming model uh, for the most part for to you as a programmer, and internally under the hood, uh, doing all sorts of tricks to get uh, faster response times and a better overall experience. So that's the whole proposal of Turbo. And to do that, it has several uh, features and, and several, it's like an umbrella. Well, Hotwire uh -huh. is like, a, like an umbrella that covers different uh, frameworks and, and libraries. Uh, to achieve that, right? But that's the the idea, yeah. Right. So I think back in the day, the old timers will remember Turbo Links, and mm. Turbo Links effectively sped up your. You'd add, you'd add it to your app, and you'd click a link, and it would just reload the parts of your page that changed. Basically, was yeah in a nutshell yeah. how it worked. You know, yeah, Turbo Links uh, was released in two thousand and twelve, I think, or two thousand mm -hmm. thirteen, and it was based on, on Bjax, which was a library from GitHub, yeah. uh, who was the one that took this, this concept of, is, is this the idea I was talking about? Uh, it was like using a new API back then, with, which was the um, push state API for, for, from the web, where you can manipulate mm -hmm. the browser history and the URL like programmatically. So it combined right. that with doing a trick when loading new HTML documents, which consists in uh, not replacing the head section of the page, leaving the head section of the page untouched, and replacing the body of the page. So by right. doing that, it saves the computing time uh, of it takes to reprocess the, the, the CSS and the JavaScript, and it's really mm -hmm. noticeable. I mean, you essentially for free, you get like a very a, a much faster response time. And it's uh, that, that was in TurboLinks, but today Turbo, uh, so the current version of Turbo still has that mechanism as the default. So that's what right. you get when you, that's the default in Turbo. You get that and you use that uh, all the time. Actually, it's a wonderful default, and I think it's underrated because many people don't use it because they think it's not fast enough. But it's absolutely fast enough and the most productive. It, it offers the most productive programming model. So it's a it is it's a great point. Turbolinux is still like what we are doing right now in Turbo. So we have to do right. that. You've just gotten a little more sophisticated about it, so that yeah, I can say, hey, do this, like click a link or submit a form or whatever, and it says, okay, now I'm smart enough to know that I just need to replace this little piece. Yeah, yeah, this is part of what we are introducing now in Turbo Eight. So until uh -huh. now. That was like the default, okay? And just uh, just to complete the hotwire picture, until now, uh, you had like that default from Turbo Links, which was what you what you got without using any API, just by clicking links and submitting forms. You had that uh -huh. body body replacement behavior, right? But then in hotwire, uh, uh, 
we introduced two new things. Um, one is turbo frames, and the other one are uh, turbo stream actions. Okay. So okay. Turbo turbo frames is uh, it's a new API so that you can declare in your views. Uh, so when you are composing your HTML, you can define uh, regions, turbo frames. They are called turbo frames. They have like mm -hmm. its its own tag, turbo frame. So in those regions, um, you can define navigation context. So that, so that for example, if you uh, click on a link inside those frames, uh, the, the request goes to the server. When it comes back, uh, Turbo knows that it has to replace that Turbo frame identified by mm -hmm. its ID. Uh, that's one of the examples. So it defines right. like regions in the screen that you can uh, replace. Um, so that you as a programmer don't have to care about uh, the JavaScript that updates a specific region of the place because the framework does that for you by matching IDs. Those are turbo frames. And then you have turbo stream actions, which are like, it's like an evolution of the uh, JavaScript um, RJS templates from JavaScript, mm -hmm. where you respond responded with uh, JavaScript code that got executed to, to perform, I don't know, uh, Oh, the good old days. Yeah, like in the good old days. It's like an evolution of that. Instead of rendering <coughs> JavaScript, what you do is to render some special HTML tags, which are turbo stream actions, that mm -hmm. when they get connected to the DOM, um, they execute certain JavaScript based on the stream actions, based on the properties in the, in the markup. So, for example, you have like an, an, um, a replace stream action. So you... Uh, Render that replace tag with an ID, and and when it runs, it's going to execute uh, that replace uh, in the in the browser. So it's like a, a declarative way of, of of executing arbitrary JavaScript. So those are turbo stream actions. Mm -hmm. so, so until now, those were the three the three mechanisms we had: the default body replacement, uh, turbo stream actions, and turbo frames. And now <clears throat> we are introducing this page refresh concept, okay? So this um, page refresh concept means that um, whenever you, when you perform um, an operation in, in your web application that implies reloading the current page you are in again, so for example, mm -hmm. you submit a form and get a redirect back to the current screen, <clears throat> It's going to trigger a page refresh internally. So we call that page refresh. And now you can configure how to handle those page refreshes. Okay. So by default, uh, the, the default turbo behavior so far is to replace the body of the page, as always, and to reset the scroll of the page. Okay. Right. So you reset the scroll vertically and horizontally. And now, what, uh, with a new, we let you configure a new option. Uh, which is going to it's going to use morphing instead of a body replacement. It's going to use morphing. It's going to morph the existing body of the page into the new body of the new HTML document. Oh, okay. We can talk about what morphing is uh, later if you want. But on top of that, it's going to prevent the reset that Turbo does by default. So it's going to keep the scroll in, pl in place. Okay. Uh huh. So the, the the concept of morphing is an interesting one. Uh, morphing is that um, morphing is about 
instead of replacing one DOM tree with another, it's going to some algorithm in the browser, some library. We are using Idiomorph. Uh, the library we use under the hood is Idiomorph. So mm -hmm. Idiomorph, what is what Idiomorph does is analyzing the tree, the DOM tree that is in the in the, the browser, <coughs> and compares it with the new DOM tree that you want to render. And it's going to calculate the difference, and it's going to apply only that difference. In practice, that means that only the the, the regions that have changed, uh, you know, get modified in the DOM level. The rest of the tree is preserved. And what you get with that is uh, screen state preservation, which is, uh, you know, in practice, it makes for very, uh, for smoother and better sensations where you are perceiving those updates. So for example, a scroll won't, won't be lost. For example, a scroll, any kind of internal scroll you have in your page is going to be preserved. If you have CSS transitions, those are going to be preserved. Uh, if you have, uh, I don't know, some carrot blinking in some field, it's going to be preserved. So the sensations for, for you as a user are, are, are very good. Uh, and more importantly, for you as a programmer, the experience is very good too, because you are just re-rendering everything again. You, are, you, are not, you don't have to care about, I'm going to update this region, this other region, this other region. An algorithm is doing that for you. You just care about mm -hmm. re-rendering everything. Right. So when you were saying uh, when you connect a, a turbo action right to a DOM ID, like how does that mechanism work under the hood? Sure. So a turbo stream action, when you render a turbo stream action, you are sending uh, uh, a res you are sending the HTML of the turbo stream action in the response, right? So that's, um, you're doing that is because Turbo, the library, um, under the hood, when, it may, when it's making the request, if you are using Turbo, Turbo is like sending a MIME type. Uh, it's setting a, a MIME type, uh, special, a special MIME type, which is something about uh, Turbo streams. I don't, I don't remember the, the, the string, but it's like something about Turbo streams. So it's informing the server that, that it supports Turbo stream action. The server is responding with a Turbo Stream action, <clears throat> and then uh, there is some logic in Turbo that is going to uh, append that to the DOM. It's going to connect that to uh, append that to the DOM directly. So under the hood, uh, Turbo is defining some web custom components. Uh, in in a web component, you can define a tag associated with a, a JavaScript class that that kind kind of implements several hooks. So that's how it works under the hood. It's like a, a custom web component that get connect, gets connected to the DOM, then that, that executes uh, some hooks in the component. And in those ho hooks, at the end, you place the logic you want. There are different components and uh, sorry, different methods to invoke. So that's how they get triggered under the hood. That's really cool. It, uh, yeah. it reminds me a lot of, uh, of live view. <laughs> Uh, and I imagine there's a lot of parallels here because uh, you did imagine like, you know, DOM morphing, which I know LiveView has had for a while, right? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, how how are, are are you taking a lot of inspiration from LiveView or yeah, like from Phoenix uh, or have you like kind of just like adopted your own like method at this point? No, I mean, we definitely, you know, uh, I can explain like the, the LiveView was totally uh, something I was, you know, all started, I mean, morphine entered my radar because I was analyzing how LiveView worked under the hood. 
because I had found a problem. It, it was early this year. Uh, I was working on on a new product that the, the company is going to, to launch, which is a, a calendar, a, a, a calendar which is going to be a companion for the Hey email service. We are working on a calendar that we are going to, sh- to ship uh, some point soon. I keep and, hearing about it. It looks cool. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. I think it's a pretty cool app. Um, we can't wait to, to put it out there. So um, the thing is that I was, uh, I mean, we were working on, on the initial screens um, and we get kind of a prototype running pretty quickly for the calendar, like with the basic screens and interactions. And uh, we were using the default body replace um, approach I was talking about. We were using that for everything. So right. that allowed us to move very fast. But at some point, we, we need we needed to add like more fidelity, okay, to the to the different interactions because this is a calendar. This is, you know, the the interactivity is very high, and you know, getting this scroll reset and the little blinks, those were not acceptable here. So <clears throat> we were um, when we were thinking about, are we going to use stream actions for this? Like, imagine you are an event to a calendar. Are we going to respond with a stream action and kind of take care of updating all the things we wanted to update. And it turns out that that was like feeling like uh, not very appealing because rendering in a calendar is incredibly complex, meaning that you have to update like and to account for a lot of considerations um, and a lot of logic that you, a lot of, con- sorry, a lot of conditions and a lot of uh, logic that you need to, um, well, to keep in mind when, performing partial screen updates. And uh, that wasn't looking like, that was looking like a lot of work, um, not appealing at all. And it, then regarding your question, you're spot on. It was like, I was thinking like, there has to be something out there like can help us. And Morphine, I had heard about Morphine, but for some reason it wasn't, it wasn't something I, it wasn't my radar or in mm-hmm. my toolbox or whatever, but analyzing LiveView, which is a framework, a solution that I find fascinating. Um, uh, LiveView, well, it has it has a very sophisticated rendering pipeline. LiveView is, is pretty amazing, generally. But at the end of the pipeline, it was using this library called Morphdom uh, for applying. Like uh, LiveView calculates the, the difference in the server. Um, so when you need to update on a screen, uh, Live, LiveView keeps like a, an, it, it, it keeps an, an stateful connection over WebSocket. So it knows what what was the previous screen it had served, so it know, it knows the HTML in your browser and it calculates the difference in the server and it sends a very optimized payload to the client and the client at the end of the pipeline, it was using morph uh, morphdom for for morphing, and that part regarding Turbo and Rails that part was like the most appealing to me and the one I saw more applicable because. The, the rest of the LiveView uh, proposal is kind of a big departure of how the web works with with WebSockets, stateful WebSockets connections, and we would, we didn't want to go down that path. Um, as as fascinating as it is, uh, so we went with um, with Morphdom. Uh, we started using Morphdom, and we started experimenting this idea of using Morph Morphdom uh, with Turbo, and eventually we replaced Morphdom. With Idiomorph because we found some some benefits, mm-hmm. but yeah, LiveView was totally part of the story. Yeah, yeah, you know, it makes a lot of sense that you're you didn't go the WebSocket route. 
uh, it, it definitely aligns with the base camp, uh, you know, philosophy uh, as far as uh, keeping things uh, as closely adhered to the, you know, web standards as they are. Uh, WebSox is still kind of like up in the air, I know, <laughs> as like a standard yeah. uh, that's, you know, acceptable everywhere. Um, so uh, I know, you know, <laughs> yeah, I know well, Elixir in general is has adopted that <laughs> socket, which which aligns well with the language for sure. Um, oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, for doing what 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 Elixir, what LiveView does, like Elixir is is a key part of it because yeah, it it's it, it shines at managing like those that amount of multiplex persistent connections uh, for multiple clients. Still, I, I I've heard it's quite demanding on the resource side. But it's it, it's possible. Like I mean, using exactly the same approach that LiveView in in Rails probably wouldn't fly. Well, I don't know, but uh, yeah. But it's also like it's more philosophical. Like also, like why we like the web is like, you know, when you have like HTTP and a browser that interchanges documents uh, with a server, <clears throat> like there is like a lot of technology built around that paradigm. Uh, and you can leverage all that. For example, HTTP caching uh, or all the caching that is possible at the hardware level. Uh, if you go with pure web sockets for everything, like you lost all that. Uh, also, it's like with Turbo. If you don't, if a client don't support Turbo, or for example, now we are we are going with page refreshes. Imagine that a client is using Turbo Seven and uh, it doesn't support page page refreshes yet. It's a progressive model. Everything will work uh, the same because, I mean, the experience is going to be degraded, but things are going to be functional. And there is something good there, right? Like, philosophically speaking, I think the progressive approach to building traditional web applications that somehow feel faster without you having to change or to use, like, very different mechanisms is kind of appealing and part of, I think, 37 Signals DNA, yeah. So one thing that I'm curious about, because um, I mean, I, I know the guys at BitLike Stimulus Reflex, uh, I, they used to be hosts on the show. Um, but, you know, so they've pulled in a lot of the WebSocket stuff. But yeah, I haven't really adopted it and I haven't seen it pushed, but, you know, they did add action cable and stuff like that. So I'm just wondering, is there a world where we kind of live in socket land or is is well, this just something else for yeah, another I mean, solution uh, we are, or we are for using, another problem i mean we are using websockets uh turbo uses websockets for example with stream actions you can render stream actions either mm-hmm. um in http responses normally like as http responses or you can broadcast them through websockets so, oh okay so that yeah you can broadcast stream actions through websockets and with page ref- with with this page refreshes concept we are introducing like a new broadcasting mechanism, uh, which is actually a big simplification over broadcasting of stream actions. Because what we what you can do now with with um, with uh, page refreshes is that you can say, okay, when this model changes, instead of broadcasting like the the specific HTML update that we want to uh, you know perform in certain screen. Instead of broadcasting that, we are going to broadcast a generic signal, a, a generic page refresh signal. And when the browser receives that through WebSockets, it's going to reload the current page using morphing. 
meaning keeping the state in place and, and everything, scroll in place and, and everything. And it's a tremendous simplification compared to what you were doing with stream actions. So yes, we are using we are still using WebSockets here uh, for broadcast, but the, the backbone of the web application is still HTTP driven, like uh, with server-side uh, web documents uh, as responses, HTTP requests as what the browser uh, make. <clears throat> then you have broadcasting for the very enhanced experience of having different streams getting updated live. But we don't use WebSockets like uh, as the communication backbone uh, for, for, for an application. It's like uh, something we, we leverage that. We use WebSockets. Uh, uh, 37 signals we use. I mean, Action Cable is an extraction from, from 37 signals uh, Basecamp 3, I believe. So we definitely use WebSockets and we like them. We just don't see them as like the main. Um, so, for example, as another example, it, this is also tied to the, with the programming model. Uh, you're familiar with Rails redirects, right? They have been there since forever. Mm -hmm. Like, so yep. you submit a form. Uh, this is scaffold code in Rails since forever. Like, you submit a form, uh, you persist right. some information in the database, and you get a redirect uh, response, uh, 302, right? right? Um, yeah, to the show action, typically, of the thing you're yeah. editing. The thing is that that makes for an amazing programming model because it's like a very simple mechanism based on standards where you say, okay, when this happens, uh, I want to reuse all the work I did to render that screen because that's something you had to do nevertheless. I mean, you had to spend some time working on how to render that list of invoices or whatever. When you redirect to as a programmer, it's a very simple mechanism, a very simple way and a, based on the standards of reusing something that exists. So it makes for a very productive workflow. I change something, I redirect, I reuse the initial rendering just like that. And I can move very fast with that programming model. So if you have WebSockets, you don't have that. Uh, how do you express that? Like, um, yeah, you can build uh, abstractions and you can uh, kind of support similar workflow, I think. But, uh, you know, it's like reinventing the wheel because that's something that the browser and the web servers and uh, HTTP as a protocol is perfectly designed to do. You know what I mean? So, uh, mm -hmm. so there are certainly advantages for, for you as a programmer, I think. Uh, you make a good, great point. Like, I always wonder, like, the caching layer is almost lost with WebSockets in, yeah. like, the traditional HTTP sense, right? Like, uh, there's headers for a reason for cache policies, right? And, well, like, exactly. you could you could lose a lot of that uh, the more that you, like, kind of tack on to streamed responses, right? Yeah, that's a great point. HTTP caching, for example, it, it works wonderfully well. Uh, browsers support them natively. Uh, they are very easy to... It's very easy to do HTTP caching with Rails. So it's something we use in our applications. Like in the calendar application, all the main screens are built with HTTP caching in mind. And then you have like a layers of dull caching. But HTTP caching comes first. And you want to, to leverage all that for sure. Um, and also, like, I think that for us, like, the main driving force always is the programming model. Like, what's the programming model? What's, where is the programming happiness? How, how can you be, like, the most productive? Rails mm -hmm. is designed around that philosophy. And we 
really put that like at the top <laughs> of the things that matter. So that's um, that's a driving like okay, you can you want to do this with WebSockets? What's the programming model here? Can can you show us the code? And I I make that question with all the libraries uh, I've seen, and I've never seen one that is better than what we are. I mean, this is very subjective, okay? But I, I haven't seen a programming model that is better than the one we are using right now for the calendar, which is the latest product we are developing. And the programming model we are using for the calendar is the programming model that Rails was using, I don't know, uh, 14 years ago, like mm -hmm. ready back, render, uh, um, resource, resourceful controllers. Uh, you know what I mean? So the thing is that it's not like being a purist. It's like, Okay, do you have a better idea? How does the code right. look like? And whenever I look at the code, specific code from specific, a specific solution, I never see something that is, oh my God, this is amazing. LiveView was kind of, LiveView was, for me, it was like, because it was different and it was like incredibly sophisticated. And it was, wow, it was, this is different, this works, this, this, wow, there's something here. But uh, even with LiveView, I think the rest <laughs> programming model is better, right? In my opinion, but this is, Super subjective. So it's like using the web, uh, using the web for sure, and respecting the web, but also, you know, optimizing for programming happiness. That's also another driving factor. I love that you've picked that up from the ethos of Ruby. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Well, that it was David, right? DHH. Yeah. Uh, DHH like got inspired by Ruby, and it's yeah. a. a a core principle in Ruby, core principle in Rails. Like it's, yeah. I think it's the first uh, principle in the Rails doctrine. And David always, David always refers to Ruby as the inspiration for that. Yeah. Right. So I'm curious. I keep thinking as I'm thinking through programming in Turbo, right? Like uh, as I'm making all these actions and just piecemealing together the the HTML. Uh, Right, kind of in a patchwork fashion on the page. Um, I, I keep thinking about like you know third party hooks, right? Or like how, how do how does the third party like libraries or third party server like if if I want to use a gem that you know gave a bunch of extras uh, to be available for Turbo in like a gem or something like that? Mm -hmm. uh, are there hooks ready for that? Mm -hmm. How is that like idea? I mean, in, in general, like if we are talking about client-side libraries, JavaScript libraries, uh, what you have to keep in mind is that despite, I mean, something different you get with, with this approach of page refreshes is the only new thing we are introducing in, in Drupal 8 in terms of changing how we load documents in the page. It's only page refreshes. So, Something to, to keep in, in, in mind is that uh, while you are responding with a full uh, HTML document, and while Turbo is performing like a replace navigation internally, you are just changing. You are just changing whatever has changed in the screen. Meaning that, uh, for example, uh, imagine that. Uh, well, are you familiar with Stimulus? For example, uh, Stimulus. Um, imagine yep. that you had a library that works like a Stimulus. Stimulus observes the DOM, okay? It's, it, it observes the DOM for mutations, so that when there is a replacement of a div, for example, of, a, of an element in the page, Stimulus kind of detects that, disconnects, 
the existing controllers and connect the new controllers for the new element. So stimulus can work with content that appears and disappears dynamically in a web page. So mm -hmm. if, you, if your application is depending on such behaviors, uh, you, you need to be aware that you are not going to get those disconnections now because when you are morphing, you get those disconnections if you replace the bodies. You disconnect all the controllers and you get all the controllers again uh, connected. Now, you're not going to have that. So you need to be aware that despite of being like a full page rendering operation, you are just updating different regions of the screen. So other than that, I don't think there should be issues uh, with existing libraries um, or anything like that. I mean, maybe there is and I just can't think of them. But it shouldn't be like a big problem. Such as, for example, when Turbolinks was released, a lot of the JavaScript uh, libraries uh, wasn't working with it because they were rely right. relying on on full page load uh, events for for wiring up the JavaScript. Right. So Turbo started to look for for, for workarounds and everything, but things were not quite flowing. So uh, I don't think this is going to be like that at all because it's like uh, the scope is much smaller, and yeah. But let's see. I mean, we just last last week we released like the first beta of Turbo Eight, and it's like our main goal is to get people using it, using the library, and reporting real world issues that we haven't been able to anticipate because it's really impossible to, you know, to foresee what's going to go wrong in real world scenarios. So we are all about making this robust. So let's see. Yeah, I remember the the good old days when TurboLinks first came out, and yeah, everybody was turning it off because it broke stuff. Um, but yeah, so do we know when Turbo Eight's coming out, or is it more of a question of how much usage you get and how stable it is? Or yeah, uh, being stable is going to be a factor for sure. So we just released the first beta. Uh, now we have we already have like a bunch of reports of things we need to look into. Right. Uh, but we don't have like a deadline for this. Uh, we are obviously pushing uh, forward because we want to get this out. Actually, we are already using Turbo 8 in our both products, like uh, both uh, main products so far, which is Hey and and Basecamp uh, 4. The Basecamp 4 started using um, Turbo 8 today. We were like in a rollout environment now everyone every user is using Turbo 8 in, in Basecamp 4. Hey has been using Turbo 8 for a while and so we are pretty confident that it's production ready. Now we want to offer a great experience and we want to fix all the rough uh, bugs that we uh, hear about. So we don't have a deadline but it should be a matter of weeks. We are also like uh, quite busy with uh, the, the products we are working on in the company. We don't have like a dedicated team for, for Turbo or anything like that. It's always programmer working on product and uh, open source. So we don't have like maybe the same bandwidth that if you, uh, I don't know, spend all your weeks uh, doing open source. But uh, we are optimistic. It should be a matter of a few, very few weeks to get the official release out there. Awesome. Um, I guess the other question I have, because I've, I've been looking through like the Turbo Handbook um, mm -hmm. beforehand, but it, yeah, it's uh, not, I, I just, it's not, it doesn't walk me through exactly what to do with it. Like it gives examples, hey, this is generally what it does. 
Yeah. So I'm just wondering if you have a walkthrough that you like or a tutorial or something that I can go check out. You know, many people have complained about that. Uh, well, first of all, the documentation for the new stuff is still pending. We need to write it. And it's totally, I mean, right. we're we not going to, to ship this without documentation. We're going to document that. But you're on point. Uh, I think you are totally right that the documentation is kind of missing, like kind of, uh, I totally can see how for a junior programmer who lands at the page or something, it's like, what's Turbo? How do you use this? Or these many different pieces. Like, it's like, it's missing like a tutorial that tells the, the full story and the motivation and how you should progressively enhance and use one thing or, or use the other. Um, you know, I would love to make that happen. Uh, and now that I'm a little bit more involved in Turbo, uh, I'll see if I can help with that because uh, I totally, I mean, I, I've heard that story like several times in the last two weeks from people saying mm -hmm. they are missing that. And, and it makes sense to me, like, of course, of course, because for me, it's so obvious after a few years working with all right. of this. But uh, yeah, it's a newcomer. And actually, I think it's so necessary to do that because I think Turbo uh, and Hotwire in general doesn't have like the the, um, the good press it needs. It, it, it needs. I think it's a wonderful solution in the front end space. Yeah. I think it's the best solution in the front end space, actually. Uh, because it takes into consideration programming happiness uh, or it considers it's like the most important factor. So I would love we, I, I love if we would do a better job selling it, like uh, mm -hmm. telling its story better. And I think it would be in great benefit. So I hope that I can dedicate some focus to do that uh, or we can dedicate some, some resources and focus on doing that after launching uh, what we have to launch in the coming weeks. Yeah, I mean, I have the same complaint about Kamal. I've, I've switched mm. my deployment over to Kamal. And yeah, the the rub was just, okay, I, I've changed this and now it's not working and why? And there's not a whole lot of um, discussion there. There is a Discord for Kamal that I found where people mm. were pretty helpful. But anyway, yeah, it, it'd be really cool to see um, better documentation on some of that. But um yeah. and from here like uh we are always like this is all open source so if anyone uh listening yeah. to this, this experience want to contribute documentation uh to the projects everything is open source including the documentation sites so you can bet that uh good documentation pull requests will be like super highly appreciated but yep. i agree i agree i agree we need to improve in that yeah yep. in that direction so I guess the other question that I have is um, yeah. So if I if I want to start implementing this, should I wait for Turbo 8 or should I start putting in Turbo 7 stuff now and then you know, um, when I update, it'll be pretty closely compatible the features that are in right now or You know, no. We are not introducing any breaking changes here in the sense that okay. if you if you start with Turbo uh, with the current Turbo 7 version and then mm -hmm. you want to start leveraging the new system it's going to be totally fine um, what I would recommend I mean if you are it depends on uh, how conservative you, you want to be with your technological choices maybe you want if you want if definitely you want like something very very stable yeah, wait until official release. But as I said, we're 
using Drupal 8 on very widely used, in two, in two widely used applications, and it's working fine. So it's production ready uh, right now. If you want to use the new stuff, the page refreshes, you might find bugs and issues because it's not as parallel tested yet. Um, right. I say that, I mean, if you're starting something now, I would go with the beta Drupal 8 and, and, and use it. But if you're running like, if you, you're running like a, an application with millions of users, such as Basecamp, uh, and you want to be a little bit more careful, it's also fine to wait, I guess. But for you right. to know, we are using to wait in Basecamp. So what's on the roadmap? <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, like, I know you're, you're focusing on Turbo 8 release, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, what, what all is planned, like, once that's out, right? Like, is there a next step or is it kind of just like stabilizing? Mm, well, I heard uh, in in terms of yeah, I, I mean, if the roadmap right now is shipping this, shipping the product, st- stabilizing things. Like, I can't uh, I can't think much further than that. Like, there's so much to to do there. Like, we don't have like big. The thing is, you you know what? The thing is that normally it's something I had heard and I have experienced firsthand. It's like most of the idea, ideas in the company appear, appear when we work on new products. So right now we are working on these products. Uh, we have developed like uh, uh, some technology around them. Then we are going to put this out there. And I think that the work will tell what we work on next. But we don't have like big things in the roadmap uh, that I have in mind or that I can share. Uh, the, the plan is getting, keeping making this robust and, and getting to void through the door. Good deal. Well, let's go ahead and. Oh, did you have another question, Valentino? Oh, I mean, I I, I have a lot of questions on how uh, Jorge manages his open source and uh, day job at the same time. <laughs> yeah, do it. Sure, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how is it possible? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'm uh, curious what your process like. Do you have like a uh, a weekly schedule or something? Like, how do you decide like how to weigh your time as far as uh, um, you know the open source and you know well, company stuff. I'm not a, a huge open source contributor either, to be honest. I'm, I've done uh, some, well, in my case, my major open source contributions, which are Active Record Encryption and now this Drupal 8, which I've collaborated with uh, Alberto, who also works at 37 Signals and has uh, contributed a lot to Turbo 8. Um, we, we do that, you know, as, as part of our jobs. So mm-hmm. uh, 37 signals, we they, they give you like a lot of autonomy to do whatever you want. So when I was working on the calendar, uh, I started to play with this idea, and I kind of discussed this idea with uh, David and some other folks. I kind of prepared some prototypes. I was doing that on my on my you know job during my job time, like my work time. Sorry. Um, so uh, it's not like I'm have to balance a lot of things. Something challenging is that you need to, I mean, we are a product company, so of course there are expectations for us to have certain throughput when it comes to the products we are working on. Like, I can't spend like four months working on this Turbo 8 idea and don't work on the calendar, which uh, is the, the project I've been working on this, this year because, you know, that doesn't fly. But they give you a lot of autonomy for you to organize. So what I try to do to keep a balance, like uh, when also I got so excited with this morphing thing that I kind of, jumped onto it, but at the same time, I was dedicating some time every day to work on, on, on the calendar and the features we had to work on. So for a while, 
I was compaginating both. But I don't think it's like a big feat. Like the, I think there are, it's, it's way harder for people that do this, you know, on their free time. Like they have like their daily jobs, and then on their free time they they make these tremendous open source contributions. Uh, that's not my case. I'm doing this uh, as part of my job. So, but I definitely try to balance both. And for Active Record Encryption, Active Record Encryption, unlike this Turbo 8 thing, uh, this of page refreshes, Active Record Encryption was like my main project for, for, for several weeks or for a couple of months or something like that. So I was working that, on that and then we open source it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. I've definitely taken advantage of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I broke top end devs the other day actually with uh, Active Record Encryption. Oh, really? Because I turned it on and I pulled in Solid Cache. And okay. Solid Cache, um, so the the cache, so it does the lookup and then what it pulls out of the database is a value call or a column called value. Yeah. And, um, the there's another gem I was using that does settings and that settings one also has a column called value. And so when you put in the initializer, it says active support on load solid cache store um, encrypt value. So it encrypted the value column on both tables mm. and I already had unencrypted data in there. And so it went, I, I can't unencrypt this. And so I had to turn off the encryption on the cache, and then it worked. But okay. Yeah. Anyway, there is a there is a setting in Active Record Encryption which is support su- support unencrypted data. I think it's like config support uh-huh. unencrypted data. And if you enable that, it's going to work with both unencrypted and encrypted data. I'm not sure if that was your problem here, but by default, that could have been. Active, yeah, with Active Record Encryption, when you enable it, it it thinks that everything must be encrypted. So if you want to to make it compatible with both encrypted and unencrypted, there is a flag, a setting that you can configure. Oh, see, I uh, thought when you turned it on, it only encrypted the things you told it to encrypt. Sorry, what? When you? I thought when you turned on active record encryption that it only encrypted the stuff that you told it to encrypt. Y- yeah, when you... Yeah, that's so you correct, say encrypt but, this but, column on... Yeah, yeah, but but if you have... Uh, so if you turn active record encryption on and you have and you declare like an attribute to be, to be encrypted, if you try uh-huh. to read a model with that attribute that is not encrypted, it's going to raise an error. Yeah. So the expectation... I know. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the expectation is that if you have data, yeah. So probably maybe we should change the default there. That it's like safer to expect that everything must be encrypted. No, so it's... Did you, did you solve your sense. problem? Yeah, you solve it by by disabling. I, right? By turning it off, yeah. Okay. Which is fine. I mean, I'm I'm like most of the stuff that I'm caching is stuff that it's like, hey, here's a video page, or hey, here's a podcast page. So none of it's. I'm not getting. I'm not putting PII in there. So. Yeah, and now now that you mentioned solid cache, I regarding your question of, of what's coming, uh, my colleague. Rosa uh, Gutierrez, who also works at 37 Signals, uh, she's working on, on a very exciting uh, project, which is uh, Solid Queue, um, mm-hmm. which is like a Jobs Queue uh, software, kind of like Sidekick, but that runs yeah. on, uh, on regular databases. And it's uh, she's cooking like some pretty cool stuff there, some pretty 
cool features and I'm pretty excited about it. So I think uh, I went to the Rails World talk on that one and I'm I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, well so. that was that was uh, solid cash, yeah. Uh, Rosa didn't talk in in Rails World, but that was solid oh. cash by Donald. Donald worked on on solid cash. Yeah, I interviewed Donald at Rails World, but oh, yeah. Nice. Maybe yeah. it was just when uh, David talked about it in his keynote. Yeah, David talked about it in, in the keynote. And I'm not sure what, what's the when when it's the release date, but um I'm seeing it internally how it's cooked and the features that Rosa is putting in and I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And also it, it's going to re- remove like the need for for Redis, which is pretty big, like for yeah, you know, uh it's pretty big. Uh, a pretty big thing, I think, in terms yeah. of operations and simplify in simplification for a lot of shops. That that's where I got hung up on Kamal is I didn't put a Redis accessory in to begin with, mm. and I didn't realize that because when I added it, then I tell it to deploy and it wouldn't set it up. I didn't realize that you had to run the accessory commands to mm. to stand it up. But once it did, it worked great, and then. Um, on Dave Kimura's recommendation, I just put uh, the Maily search because hmm? I've been adding full text search to top end devs, which is really <laughs> nice, by the way. It's like, what was that episode where we talked about the thing and then go find it now? <laughs> but um, yeah, same deal, right? And so I, I knew then that if I added it and I wanted it up and ready for my app to use, I had to tell it to stand up the accessory and then deploy. So. Hmm. Anyway, very cool. If people want to uh, check in with you, Jorge, where do they find you? <clears throat> uh, I think the the best place is my my personal page, Jorge. Uh, man, it's my name, JorgeManrubia.com. Uh, and uh, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, but I think that's the best place to to start. Yeah. Very cool, Valentino. Did you have other questions? I kind of jumped in the middle of that. I mean, I do, but uh, for another time. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Maybe we'll have to have you back, Jorge. Sure. Whatever you want, folks. All right, well, let's go ahead and do our picks. Valentino, do you have some picks? Sure. Uh, let's see. I had something open here. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just going to pick my uh, Edge AI kit that I got from a particle. That's what was causing all of the noise uh, earlier, (laughs) Uh, but it's really fun. It's got a bunch of like uh, connectors and and things for the uh, new particle uh, related chips that are coming out the photon too. And they have, uh, they have an amazing pipeline now uh, that let you like over the air update the device and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, And so I'm playing with their, uh, their AI kit, which is, uh, Kind of wild. <laughs> uh, lets you run a lot of AI stuff on the device, uh, and so I, I have a little uh, microphone hooked up to it with a voice server. I'm gonna hook up to automatically uh, submit my OpenAI responses to. <laughs> so so far so good. It's a lot of Amazing. fun. Are you into? Are you a lot into AI? Like uh, yeah, I've been a lo- I've been into it a lot. Nice. <laughs> Way too <Yeah>. much. <laughs> nice. But I can't help myself. That's good. That's cool. Cool. Cool stuff. Yeah, that's something I want to get into some more. Um, I'm going to throw out a few picks of my own here. Um, the first one that I'm going to pick is a game. Um, I don't 
I don't remember which games I picked. I need to just uh, make myself a list. Uh, but I'm going to pick a game. I think it's called Happy Little Dinosaurs. Yeah, Happy Little Dinosaurs. Um, it is a very simple game. If you are kind of a hardcore board game person like me, um, then this is probably not going to be the game you play with your friends. This is going to be the game you play with your kids. Um, it has a board game geek weight of 1.38. And the way that it works is um, you each play a different dinosaur. And so you have a little card in front of you, and then you have a little track that keeps track of your score. And there are different calamities that are coming. So they're, I think they're red, blue, green, and meteors. And meteors are wilds. And so you're eliminated if you get three of a kind or three of each kind, right? And so if you have a red, a green, and a meteor, that counts as three, one of each kind. So then you're out. Um, for each calamity that you have uh, happen to you, and you keep those on your, on your card, um, you get to move up an extra space or you get a point at the end of each round. And then the way you do it is you put a card down, face down, and the highest number wins. You know, so the different dinosaurs have different advantages. One of them um, has a plus one against meteors. I think one of them has a plus one against red and a minus one against green. And so anyway, so they kind of vary that way. Um, so you can play up to four players. And so you put the cards face down. Some of the cards have effects, right? So some of them will let you swap numbers with somebody else or play another card or all kinds of things, right? And so, or cancel the effects of all the other cards. Um, anyway, so, I mean, it's a really simple game. Um, and yeah, it's something that I'd play with my eight-year-old or my 12-year-old. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not a very complicated game. And mm, you can play a half hour. Um, but yeah, so if you're looking for a game to play with your kiddos, that is one that I would recommend. Um, I'll go ahead and put some links in. I'll put an affiliate link in for Amazon too if you want to. It doesn't change the price for you, but it gives me a little kickback if you buy it. Um, and then uh, the other pick I have, and this is, like I said, I mentioned Ruby Geniuses before. And um, so there are two parts to this. Um, one of them is the video screencast component, which is going to be kind of like your Go Rails or... Uh, drifting Ruby. Um, I want to do something a little different. I don't want to just walk through, here's how you do this thing, or here's how you use this library. What I want to do is I want to do more of a, here's how you add this feature to your Rails app, right? And so I'm going to build an, a Rails app. I'm going to build it front to back. I might skip some of the more mundane stuff. Oh, I'm generating another controller, right? Um, but I'll pull in, you know, kind of the, the critical pieces and say, okay, this is how I would build this, or this is how I would use this library to accomplish this if I'm pulling in a gem. Um, and so I'm going to be putting those out every week. And then, um, and this is all down to what Top End Devs is about, which is helping you build your skills, helping you build your network, and helping you build your personal brand so that you can build a career that gets you what you want in life, right? So that's your skills. And then um, Rails Geniuses at the membership level is going to we're going to have at least 3 calls per week or per month. And so one of them's going to be like a Q&A, you know, I'll, I might bring somebody in, I might bring Jorge in and say, "Hey, we've got Jorge coming and he can talk about active record encryption and turbo and, you know, list some of the things that they can ask questions about." 
or I may just a- answer some of the questions myself or whatever, right? Um, we'll have a networking call as one of those calls, right? So we'll get in, we'll get into breakout groups, we'll talk to each other for five minutes or so, get to know each other a little bit and then switch. Um, the reason that I'm interested in this is because what I found is most of the opportunities I had both to grow and to find better positions have come out of my network. And then um, for building the personal brand, there will all be at least one other call that's for all of the different. So I'm doing JavaScript, Ruby, and React geniuses. Um, there will be an overall call that is more on the, how do I build a personal brand? So it'll be, how do I grow my podcast? How do I grow my YouTube channel? How do I get started with the podcast? How do I get started with the YouTube channel? How do I um, you know, build my resume? How do I contribute to open source? Right, And so it's all these things that will help you get noticed out there in the world. So that's what I'm putting together. If you go to rubygeniuses.com, um, it should be up here within the next two weeks. Um, and uh, then you'll get access and you'll be able to see when the calls are. You'll be able to see, you should be able to see when the calls are anyway. I'm just going to put them on the calendar, but you'll get the links to join and you know all of those things. And if you're doing, if you want access to all of the above, there'll be a, an overall membership that includes all, all of those uh, geniuses levels. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm working on. And then I've had a few people ask me about coaching. And so uh, if you go to topendevs.com slash coaching, uh, there will be information on the coaching levels and how to apply. Um, beyond that, um, I just bought myself my Christmas present. It's funny. My wife's like, what do you want? And it's always something expensive. So last year, I think it was last year, I got my smoker, my Traeger, which I dearly love. Uh, this year, I got a Wahoo Core trainer for my bike. And so I'm going to be training for uh, Half Ironman this next year. And so I'm pretty excited about that. So I'm going to pick that. It comes with a one-year subscription to Zwift, which is, you know, it projects like a trail on the TV. And then it actually connects to your um, your trainer through your phone. And so it'll adjust. So if you're riding up a hill, it'll actually make it harder for you to ride. And so then you can shift gears and stuff like that. So anyway, those are my picks. Uh, Jorge, what are your picks? So um, my picks, I'm going with two. When is, when is this new uh, feature in, in ChatGPT of uh, creating like customized uh, ChatGPT instances? I think it calls, it calls them like ChatGPTs, like your ChatGPTs. And I know that uh, before you could like enter these preambles uh, for your prompts, but this is kind of nicer. And I'm digging it a lot for uh, Rails API, programming API questions. Like you can have like your um, custom chat GPT where you can give some guidelines about how you want the replies to be. And I'm kind of, I'm finding the feature useful. That's my point. And that saves me time. And um, another peak is uh, another video game, uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which I'm mm-hmm. playing to with my uh, daughter. Uh, one of my daughters is, is seven years old, and I played to Breath of the Wild with her like uh, back a couple of years ago, and now we are enjoying it a lot. It's like Breath of the Wild, but, but multiplied by, I don't know, 10 yeah. <laughs> in, all, in, in all directions. So it's like right? if, if you like uh, Breath of the Wild, this is like wow. The thing is that I, I think I'm, I'm going to be playing it for the next five years, something like that. Because we right. play a little bit at a time, and it, the, the, the game is huge, but it's so good. 
so good. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I started playing it and you start in the sky and then you, you get down to ground level and you realize that, yeah, you're basically there are three maps. There's one in the sky, yeah. one <laughs> above you and one below you underground. Yeah. And it, oh, wow. It is so expansive. It just, it doesn't end. Yeah. 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 Really, really loving that game. So, yeah. And then, yeah, we put a link to your website in the uh, comments on Facebook and YouTube. So people can pick it up that way. But uh, thanks for coming, Jorge. This was fun. Thank you so much for having me, folks. It was my pleasure. All right. We'll wrap it up. Till next time, folks. Max out. <laughs>